If you look at your bulletin outline, we're talking about the subject of worship as prayer. And you'll note the first point is that everyone prays. Everyone prays. This is almost universally accepted as true. Muslim prays five times a day towards the city of Mecca. Hindus pray three times a day. Buddhists are said not to pray because they do not believe in a personal deity. However, they meet for chants, recitations, mantras, which sound very much like prayer. The Jews pray three times a day. Of Christians, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Colossians 4, verse 2. The word devote in the original means to be steadfastly attentive unto, to give unremitting care to a thing. When atheists say that they are atheists, we wouldn't think that they would necessarily pray. But I am maintaining that even atheists pray. The aphorism, there is no atheist in foxholes, came out of World War II war correspondent Ernie Pyle writing on the battle for Bataan. And it was later quoted by then-President Dwight D. Eisenhower when addressing the American Legion in a White House address February 7, 1954. There are no atheists in foxholes. Well, what does that mean? It means that when you're in the trenches and the mortars are whistling in overhead and the machine guns are rat tat tat with their deadly bullets flying through the air, the possibility of imminent death and meeting God in your next breath all will often change the perspective of atheists and suddenly their defiance dissipates in prayer, God help me, I'm in trouble. So I say again, everyone prays. It just depends on what circumstances in life bring them to that point. Of course, there are other disciplines important to the Christian life, but Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, Colossians 4.2. And he's talking about one of the key areas of fidelity that is incumbent upon all true believers. We are to be praying people. Now, what does prayer prove? Well, point two, the nature of prayer is dependence, dependence. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I, I, you know, you, I, I don't need religion in my life. I do just fine without God. I've heard that. These people would not necessarily classify themselves as atheists, but they are practical atheists because while they may believe in God or their concepts of God would be better said, they see no need for his intervention in their lives because they are fully capable of ordering their lives and solving their problems without divine intervention. They see prayer as something for the weak, for the powerless, for the dim-witted, for those who have maybe an inferiority complex. Yeah, you, all you people need prayer. It's like the communist adage that uh, religion is, uh, you know, it's, it's the opium of the people. It'll put you to sleep. I wonder if they would classify Jesus Christ 
in, the cat, in that category when the Bible says, one of those days, the Sabbath days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. Luke 6, verse 12. Certainly, Jesus was not some dim-witted, incapable, weak person. He had just healed a man whose hand was deformed. Power was in Christ. Prayer by its very nature is an action showing dependence upon another, in this case God. The self-sufficient people of society go through life proud of their own achievements, completely oblivious to the grace of God that has sustained them in every endeavor. I say they're oblivious to that. Let me ask this. Why were you born in America instead of Iran, where restrictions and limitations of freedom are the rule of the day in a totalitarian government? Why were you born here, not there? Paul told the Athenians, pagans, right? Athens, Greeks. From one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move, and we have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Acts 17, verse 26 through 28. God determines where you're born and where you live. Okay, second question. Why do you have the physical faculties you possess? Sight, hearing, speech. When Moses was arguing with God as to why he would not be a good spokesman to go to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh about releasing Israelites, God responded, The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight? Who makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Exodus 4, verse 11. We don't normally think about that. The psalmist declared the utter absurdity of thinking of God in impotent terms. He writes, Take heed, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches men lack knowledge? Psalm 94, verses 8 through 10. Think of all the miraculous healings which occurred in the hands of Jesus and his disciples in the New Testament days. Man, the man with his shriveled hand that we just referred to, Luke 6, verse 6. Great crowds came to him, I'm reading, bring, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And he laid, they laid him at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Matthew 15, verse 30. 
the disciples' healing of the deformed beggar in Acts 3. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, praising God. Acts 3, verse 6 through 8. Our physical and mental faculties are ordered by God. You know, much of our praying acknowledges this, doesn't it? When we're not feeling up to par. What do we do? We go to God in prayer and we talk about our health. Okay, third question. What about your sustenance? Food, clothing, housing. Someone will say, I want you to know, Pastor, that I built my house with my own two hands. Really? God said to Moses, when Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given him given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahismach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He, was filled, he has filled them with skills to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. Exodus 36 Verses 30 through 35. You say, well, that was to build the tabernacle. Yeah, but the point was, these men didn't have these abilities naturally. God gave them these gifts and abilities so that they could function that way. Someone will say, well, I want you to know I grow my own garden. Really? Paul told the pagans at Lystra, in the past, God let all nations go their way, yet... He has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness, how? By giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Acts 4, verse 16 and 17. So, where you live, your domicile, your physical and mental acuities, your skills in reasoning and decision-making, the food on your table, the clothes on your back, and on and on, it all demonstrates dependence upon God and reason enough to be people of prayer who not only pray for resolutions when there is a defect or a lack in any of these areas, but also to express thanks for what He is, what He has done, under the great benevolence of our God. Prayer expresses dependence on God. And of course, his answers are by his grace. Now, all people pray, and all people are dependent, but not all people see the dependence. 
but God's people should see the dependence. And it calls us to pray. And when we do, in thanks and so forth, we are worshiping God for his bounty. Then thirdly, what about our great need for forgiveness? Much of what I have been saying this morning applies to the physical, right? I mean, food, clothing, good health, mental capacity. But the spiritual poverty of our souls is even more in need of addressing. Paul writes, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers or snakes is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Boy, that sure tells something about our society. Their feet are swift to shed blood. <coughs> Ruin and misery are in their ways, and the ways of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3, 10 through 18. And he's describing man as untouched by God, just as man as we find him in society. I could say that was the culture of Paul's day, and it certainly is the spiritual climate of our day. Nothing's changed. There's nothing new under the sun. Men and women are dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Next chapter, without hope, without God in the world, Ephesians 2, verse 12. <clears throat> I could say it this way. People are standing in the cesspool of sin and degradation, with their finger about to be inserted into the lightning rod of God's wrath. But they're splashing around like children as though they didn't have a care in the world. Paul talks about the wrath of God hovering over the unbeliever in Romans chapter 2. They have no clue that judgment looms but one lapsed breath away, and so they never think of praying for forgiveness, they never think about praying for restoration to purity in Christ. The psalmist teaches us to talk to ourselves with true remembrances. Let me read it for you. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is rewarded like the eagle. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. That's, good. That's a good spiritual discipline. Talk to yourself. Remind yourself. Spiritual need of your heart and mind is of such paramount importance that Jesus put it this way. He said, don't worry, uh, saying, oh, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But you seek first. Notice this. Make this your priority. You seek first the king, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you know people have the cart before the horse. 
They spend all of their lives working for wealth and power and security, but they never, uh, they never address Jesus' question, which is this. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Suppose you do amass your fortune, a fortune financially. Can you buy your way into heaven? People think they can. They wouldn't put it that crassly. You know, they say, well, I want you to know that I gave $10,000 to the church last year out of my income. They're making a million plus, and they're happy that they gave $10,000. But they think that buys them a spot in heaven. I want you to know. Well, to him who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Jesus said on this occasion, these are people who are rich in material things, but they are not rich towards God. There's the key. The text is Mark 8, verse 36 and following. So, our dependent prayer life can express no greater need than to seek God's forgiveness and restoration through the cross work. Jesus Christ. What I'm saying here is we have a lot to pray about. <laughs> Whether in, in terms of thankfulness or you're going to talk about some defect that's going on in your life, maybe health-wise, spiritual-wise, uh, your heart's not right with God or you don't love God the way you should, you're not following in obedience to Him if you're a Christian in the way that you should. we got a lot to pray about. And as we pray, we show dependence upon God and we worship him for the God and creator that he is. Now that's the second point in your outline. and We're going to look just momentarily here at a video. Worshiping God through prayer. The first point under this is communal prayer. If prayer in general is a demonstration of dependence upon God, for all things physical and spiritual, how does communal prayer fit into this? You know what I mean by communal. Us getting together uh, like we do on Wednesday nights, coming together as a church and praying as a church for this, 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 or this. There's a song, Listen to Your Children Praying, written by Ken Medema. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name but he is a contemporary Christian composer, and he wrote this song back in the 70s, and Jared's going to play that for us. You can dim the front lights here or shut them off. No, yeah, it's the other switch. Children, listen, Lord. Listen. 
Nadima wrote that um, song based on Psalm 55, verse 1. I don't know if you know anything about uh, this uh, composer. He was born blind. Um, so Lord gave him the gift of music. Um, like Fanny Crosby. A lot of our hymns in uh, the hymn book are written by her, and you know that she was, a, was, was blind. Well, there's a lot of psalms, psalms, scriptures, that address God with the same kind of thought. Lord, listen. Let me read some for you. Psalm 5, verse 2 through following. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and I wait in expectation. You're not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down towards your holy temple. Or again, for the director of music with stringed instruments, a maskil of David. A maskil is a um, particularly teaching song. It's making a point. A maskil of David. When the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, Is not David hiding among us? Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men with, without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Psalm 54, verse 4 verses. Hezekiah led the people in prayer when Sennacherib came against his city, the city of Jerusalem. And he prayed, Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen. To all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Isaiah 37, verse 17 through 20. I think you all remember after the beheading of the Apostle James by Herod, the Jews were so elated that Herod decided to do a repeat performance, this time with Peter being the martyr. But he decided that he'd wait till after the Jewish Passover to do it. So what did the church do? We read, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Acts 12, verses 5 through 7. He then followed that angel, as you know, out of the prison and went to the home of John Mark, where we are told that many people had gathered and were praying. Acts 12, 
verse 12. Now here's my question. Is there something special or more compelling of God about communal prayer over individual prayer? Or to ask it another way, when we gather as a church and pray together, as we do on Wednesday evenings, when we petition God as his collective body, does that kind of prayer hold more weight with God? And I'm speaking in human terms here. Well, listen to Jesus' statement in Matthew 18. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. Seems to indicate that there's a special presence of God in the communal prayer. After the ascension, the disciples, where were they? They were gathered in a room. And we read, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came over from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The Greek word is glossa, glossary. We get our English word from that. Distinct dialect or languages of a people. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in these distinct languages as the Spirit enabled them. That's because they were praying. Praying communally. They were in Jerusalem. They were told by Jesus, you know, you wait till my, after my ascension. You go to Jerusalem and you wait for the coming of the Spirit of God. Well, they didn't just wait. They met together and they prayed. Again, John writes, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we, plural, ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15. I think you get the import here. If you're going to get a group of people to agree to pray on something, or Christians, to pray on a thing, that is certainly no more noteworthy than one individual praying his own little personal prayer. There's a collective thought that whatever's being prayed in the prayer meeting, that we are of one mind on that, multiples praying for this one thing. So, the grace of God notwithstanding, it appears that a collective voice on a given matter arouses God to answer in the affirmative, providing, providing those doing the praying are not hypocritical in their prayers. What, what, what am I saying? I'm saying that God reads the heart. And it doesn't matter if it's you individually praying or the communal 
church praying, God's looking at the heart. So when Israel approached God in worship, now collectively, right? When they prayed collectively, God told them, and I'm reading scripture here, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Uh Uh-oh, something wrong here with the collective prayer. What's wrong? He goes on. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. See, there's a lot going on in Israel that they weren't doing. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. Isaiah 1, verse 15 through 19. So it isn't an automatic answer just because it's collective. But if if we're not praying hypocritically, if we're praying in all sincerity and we're living God's Christian life, Communal prayer expresses a uniformity and agreement among praying people on what and how to pray. And where that unity is genuine and not hypocritical, God answers and he answers quickly. And those that have been coming out on Wednesday evening prayer and praying together know this to be true. We will pray for something on Wednesday night and often by next Wednesday or within a couple weeks, we have our answer. And it's so clear that it's cause and effect. All right, secondly, what about worshiping God through individual prayer? Individual prayer shows dependence upon God for almost every situation in life. Do you, do you use prayer like that? Abraham's servant was sent on a mission to obtain a wife for Isaac from among Abraham's relatives. We read, Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, Oh, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Genesis 24, verse 12. And that is Abraham's servant sitting by the well outside the city. And the result of that was Rebekah. God sent Rebekah out, and it happened just as he prayed. He asked for a drink of water, and she said, Oh, I'll I'll give you a drink, and not only that, I'll water all your camels. Which, in that day... Not not an easy task. After Isaac and Rebekah were married for some time, it became apparent that Rebekah was barren. So we read, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. Genesis 25, verse 21. Individual prayers. Again, the people came to Moses and they said, We sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. 
So Moses prayed for the people, Numbers 21, verse 7. He erected the bronze snake on the pole, you remember, and said, Look, and everyone that looks will live. Speaking, referring to Christ raised up. After being captured and made blind because of his sin, Samson was made to stand between the two supporting pillars of Dagon's pagan temple of the Philistines. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Judges 16, verse 28. And the text goes on to say, as he pushed the pillars of pagans, of that pagan temple down and those Philistines died, that he killed more in his death than in his lifetime. God did avenge him for his eyes. You see the various things people can pray for individually? When Ahithophel, David's military advisor, betrayed him by siding with Absalom, David asked God to make Ahithophel's counsel foolishness, 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. And it says in the scriptures that the counsel of Ahithophel was viewed by Israel as though it was the word of God. Whenever he spoke, you know, they said, wow, this is so right. This is the way to go. They considered him speaking for God. But God did confound his counsel. Through Elijah's prayer, the rain was withheld from the land in Ahab's day as a judgment for his leadership. And by Elijah's prayer, the rain returned. Jonah, encapsulated within the stomach of a great fish, prayed and the fish spit him out on dry ground. Jonah 2, verse 1. And there's prayers for healing and there's prayers for wisdom and there's prayers for direction in knowing God's will for your life. It's all here in the book. Individuals praying for all kinds of things. And individual prayer is so important in ascertaining the help of God that James wrote, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James 4, verse 2 and 3. So even individual prayers cannot be hypocritical. You're not going to get unless you ask, but then when you ask, it's got to be for God's glory, not so you can spend it on your own pleasures. William Cowper's hymn says, Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold your mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found with grace and mercy to abound. No human priest needed. Just you and God. Great. So great. Individual prayers. Number three, the worship of God can be through intercessory prayers by leaders. When the office of deacon was ordained by the church, listen to the reasoning of the apostles. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables to help with the widows that needed food. 
Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Acts 6, verses 2 through 4. It was Nehemiah's prayer that resulted in Israel's release from captivity. Here it is. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, including my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's referring to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah 1, verse 5 through 11. You know the outcome of that. The king saw that Nehemiah was downcast in his face. And he said, Nehemiah, it looks like something's bothering you. Yeah, well, he said, well, why wouldn't I be bothered when my city, my people, the city's all broken down, the walls are all destroyed, and so forth. And he was released to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Do you know at our church, one of the things the elders, your elders, are struggling with these days is how in our leadership we might have more time to pray together as elders. Because that's our responsibility. Pray for you. I hope you're praying for us, but our responsibility is to pray for you. And we need to make the time, not just hope it shows up. Then lastly, we worship God through penitent prayer. The blind man, with his sight restored by Jesus, John 9, told the Pharisees, and they were trying to pressure him, and they were saying, don't, don't say this Jesus character gave you your sight. We, we know this guy is a sinner. Listen to the blind man. Oh, really? We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. John 9, 31 through 33. Well, let me tell you, Mr. Blind Man saw a whole lot more than the religious leaders of the day. Oh, that infuriated him. That made him so mad, they kicked him out of the synagogue. You're out of here. You were altogether born in sin. You're teaching us out. Who do you think you are? But he told it true. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Okay, so if God does not listen to the prayers of sinners, how are sinners saved? How are they brought into the kingdom of God? Peter 
on the day of Pentecost. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Let me say it this way. The one prayer God hears and answers from an unbeliever is the penitent prayer of faith. When you acknowledge your sin, God's grace abounds to forgive, to cleanse, and to make you a child of God. And I would say to any here this morning that's lost and an unbeliever, this penitent prayer is the most important prayer in your life. It brings the grace of God into your lives. So, sinner or not, pray. What should I pray? Confess your sins. Seek forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for sinners that they might be cleansed and brought into a right relationship with God. Now in all of these areas, whether we're talking communal prayer or individual prayer, where we're talking about the prayer of leaders as they intercess, as they pray for others, or we're talking about a penitent prayer. All of these are forms of worshiping God because they show our dependence upon God and we're not the big hot shots that we think we are. I hope the Lord gives us humble hearts. That's what God's looking for. Do you realize really who is the master of your life? who is controlling all of the events in your life. It's not you. It's not macho man. It's the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this day. Pray your blessing upon it. We have gathered here to worship. It's a great privilege to worship you in prayer and to say on behalf of our church and our congregation, Lord, be with us and bless us. Bless us with obedience, the obedience the Israelites did not have. Bless us with a love for God that uh, the sinfulness of our hearts fights against because we love ourselves better and we love ourselves more. And for the unrepentant today, for the unbelieving, O oh Lord, send them a spirit of repentance. Grant them that. They don't have faith in you. They hate you. So I pray that you will send them faith, that they might see in Christ the glory that we see in him. Forgive them for their unbelief, but grant them the faith they need. These are all your works of grace. From start to finish, we are your product. Adam didn't make himself. He had a creator. Eve didn't make herself. She had a creator. We don't make ourselves. We have a creator and a sustainer. And even in the faith, we have a savior that saves us. We don't save ourselves. Honor and bless your word this, this day. Thank you for your word. It keeps us on track. It rebukes us. It rechannels our thoughts, which we need because the world so oppresses us with their thinking. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth and for your salvation. Amen. Closing hymn is out of the red hymnal, number 508.